Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's show. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas, isn't it? Beginning to look a lot like Christmas at least. Um, I know I'm uh, making this, I'm recording this on the 12th and uh, it'll go live. You guys will get it on the 18th of December and uh, boy, do I love Christmas. So (laughs) that's my little soapbox for today. But to me, I just, I love, there's so many things I just love about Christmas. And so I'm not going to get on a soapbox here. I'm not going to get on a rant, but but I absolutely love Christmas, and I just want you to know that at the start of this show. Um, and today, today is free Q&A Tuesday, um, basically the day where you guys get a glimpse into uh, what I do inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs, because you get to ask any questions, and uh, I'll answer them here. Of course, I can't go into the level of detail that uh, that are inside Learn Stage Lighting Labs, and I'm not going to be able to, of course, like in the labs, I can... Um, reference the action plans and courses, but but it kind of gives you a glimpse of what goes on and, and helps um, folks, you know, who maybe don't need the level of support that I offer in the Learn Stage Lighting Labs to to get some simple questions answered. So that is the sponsor of the show is uh, Learn Stage Lighting Labs. If you're new here, that is an online membership. Uh, we'll be talking more about it throughout today's program, but basically you pay a little bit each month, you get access to a massive um, library of training videos and also personalized support in our user forums. And it's just, it's a really cool thing, I think, because it allows me to help a lot of people for really reasonable cost on your end. And um, I'm able to to really bring you guys the very best in training materials and videos and, and text and personalized support for, for a really low cost. So I think it's really cool. And I know um, we've had more and more people signing up lately, and I think that's awesome, and I'm so thankful for all of you and, and everybody who listens to this show and just everything. I know Thanksgiving was a few weeks ago, but but I really am truly thankful for everyone that listens to, supports, watches, um, you know, and, and buys from Learn Stage Lighting. It's it's really an amazing thing, and it's it's really cool to be able to help so many people and, um, you know, be able to turn this into into something cool. So, Anywho, today we've got a lot of questions. Um, I threw a little feeler out there, wanted to answer everybody's questions, and I have, I believe, 18 questions here. Hopefully I'll get to them all, and um, because it really is a lot, but but I'm excited to get through them. And so, first off, we've got Troy. I've got a big cup of coffee here as well. Um, we've got Troy here who says, is there a 3D visualizer other than MSD, which um, formerly Martin Show Designer, now called My Show Designer, that I recommend for use with Onyx that is more cost-effective for the beginner, but easier to use with Onyx. So yeah, Troy, um, what I like, and I'll link to a post um, about um, lighting visualizer, it's called So You Want a Lighting Visualizer, um, over on Learn Stage Lighting. And and basically, for those who are not uh, quite where, where Troy is, you know, a visualizer is a great way to be able to see your lights in 3D and be able to post um, and be able to pre-program rather, you know, a whole show. Let me just drop my headphones there. Um, be able to, to program a whole show and, and really get an accurate idea of what the lights are doing when you program them with a console. So, Troy, what I recommend and uh, what I've kind of always liked as visualizer and what I've bought personally and used is Capture. 
And uh, I was so thankful, actually, when Onyx got uh, purchased by Alation, because Alation distributes Capture here in the U.S. And and uh, I've really, you know, MST was great um, with MPC, and they offered you, you know, a pretty generous um, free demo file. But Capture, uh, they also have a demo file for with Onyx, so you can check out that demo file, download it, use the demo file, and then uh, take a look at Capture um, for your needs as well um, for purchasing it because the the demo file that you get, you know, just like with MSD um, and MPC, the the demo file um, only works with the demo file inside the software. And if you want to create your own stuff, then then you can buy it. But but I really, really highly like um, Capture. It's a really stellar um, program. I've been using it. I think I've owned it about six years now. And, um, you know, with with visualizers, um, just to kind of go back to, to the beginning of your question, um, pretty much all the visualizers on the market connect to the consoles via networked DMX protocols. Um, that's Artnet or SACN. Some can connect to consoles in other different ways, but but in general, that's that's how they connect to the consoles, okay? And so the great thing about that is that any console that outputs these networked DMX protocols, which is most consoles out there um, that aren't at the very basic level, any console that, that outputs these protocols can be connected to a visualizer. So um, there's Capture out there. There's another, there's, there's a variety of options out there. There's one called Light Converse, Realizer, um, WYSIWYG, Vision. But what I found is that, interestingly enough, in the visualizer marketplace, they all price themselves pretty much at the same place. Like the, the pricing across most of the visualizers is pretty similar. Okay, and it's right where the capture pricing is. There's some that are a little more expensive. There's some are a little cheaper. But overall, you know, I really like um, the capture program. I think it's really pretty simple to use and get started. We've got an action plan inside of Lorient State Lighting Labs that that goes into getting started with capture and walks you through it. But you can also figure it out on yourself. And um, I really think it's a great option. So Wes writes in and says... All right, I have an M2 Go. Okay, so that is now an Onyx platform uh, controller, but formerly the Martin M2 Go. What is the fastest way? I'm trying to read this here. Uh, it's not the most clear. He may not be a native English speaker, and that's okay. Um, so what is the fastest way to make the pan tilt effects, um, to make all the effects not follow through to the next queue? Um, should I be using clear? I don't know. Um, takes forever to go in and manually shut them off. I've saved effects in my preset. Okay, so so what's going on here, Wes, is um, is that basically this is a tracking-based console, okay? And a lot of, pretty much all professional lighting consoles work this way, where if you turn on a particular attribute of a light in one queue, it's going to continue staying on until you turn that attribute off okay and so in onyx um or formerly m series on the m2 go which you're on um in the effects programming section the effects macros window there's actually four presets that are really going to help you and uh, they are like dimmer off color off and then there's two more and these are the presets that turn off the effects and what these basically do is they take the um they take the swing value of the effects inside the Onyx effects engine and they turn that to zero. So when you want an effect to stop, um, and I would recommend not pressing clear, I would recommend, um, 
you know, if you're making a cue in order, you know, make the cue with the effect and then go in and stop the effect by, by taking that swing value on the effect and bringing it down to zero. And um, you can do that manually by selecting the fixtures and, and going through the effect and bringing that to zero. Or, as I mentioned, in the effects macros window, you can just press the various off effects or press them all to turn off all effects for those lights in the next queue. And then that's going to turn off the effect. So that's that's the quick and easy way to do that. Um, definitely, you, you generally, if you're programming cues in order um, to make sure you don't have any tracking issues, you know, I generally recommend that you go ahead and you don't press clear. Okay, so if you're programming Q1 in the queue list, then Q2, then Q3, don't press clear between them because that's then going to give you an accurate idea of what's tracked through from the previous. You'll have that all in your programmer and then you make the changes you want. They'll get saved into the new queue and you won't be surprised later. Um, then you wrote plus in time code when I write a Mac route to trigger a chase it does not fall through to the next queue why i didn't turn it off yet okay again wes you know i'm not totally understanding what you're asking but um with timecode in onyx um one thing that's really important to do you want to go to the timecode page at support.obsidiancontrol.com and uh, check out the the article in there on timecode but um in general when, when you're working with timecode um you need to make sure that you have a queue at the start of the timecode queue list that's not enabled by timecode, okay? And you start that queue, and then it's listening for timecode after that. Um, there's a little bit more explanation in the manual, I believe, and uh, we'll make sure to link to that uh, page, but you can just go to support.obsidiancontrol.com, type in timecode, and uh, you're able to read about that, and it should give you kind of an idea. There's a section down there called uh, Working with a Timecode queue list okay and uh, under that section it tells you about how to make it active and uh, how that can help you when you're programming all right Wes so make sure to link to that in the show notes and I think uh, I think these will help you a lot Xavier writes in awesome a DMX's question we were kind of stuck on Onyx there for a second great console but uh, yeah as those of you who listen here know we cover a lot of other things too so Xavier wrote in and says I have DMX's can I control more than the next previous scene with an external MIDI controller. So Xavier, um, yes, you can. Now, there's a little caveat to it. Um, and I would go look in the manual if I were you, you know, pop in into DMXs under help, just click user manual, and uh, it'll pop up the manual. Because you can actually access any bank and scene and trigger those from a MIDI controller. But the catch in DMXs is that they're specific MIDI notes, okay? And they're on channels 15 and 16, um, are the di are the specific channels, and then um, the MIDI notes are by number on those channels. The 15, um, basically channel 15, the notes is going to trigger the banks, and channel 16, the notes are going to trigger the presets. So the big caveat there is that your external MIDI controller needs to be able to specify, um, you, you need to be able to program that external MIDI controller to do these specific commands that DMXs is looking for. You can't uh, modify those. You can't MIDI learn those at this time. So that can sometimes create the conundrum where your MIDI controller might not be able to customize those commands and the software can't. And so you might be stuck. And if you are, you can look into, there's some different programs like Bohm's MIDI Translator. That's B-O-M-E-S. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and there's some other program 
out there that um, really allow you to take MIDI and basically you tell it, hey, when you get this MIDI command, change it to this MIDI command. And you're able to kind of get around with it that way. But but that's the basics of it. You totally can um, control more than that with the MIDI controller. You can also assign faders to a MIDI controller and stuff like that and control specific channels. Um, but um, do check the manual because it really walks through that pretty well um, inside that manual. Awesome. William writes in and says, Good evening. I have a question about a console. If I was going to install a lighting console into a small theater... Should I go for more channels than I need in case a bigger show comes in? Or a smaller console like a Shave Obey 40 for the perfect number of channels that I need? Okay, William. So when, when you're choosing a console, there's a few things you want to look at, okay? And I'll, I'll link to a post about choosing your first lighting console on LearnStageLighting.com um, just so that you can kind of um, see what I walk through there as well. But we're going to talk through basically the same things here. So... When you're looking for a new console, you know, the amount of channels you need is one thing, but then you also want to look at the functionality of that console. Can it do what you need it to do in the sense of programming? Because some consoles, um, the Obey 40 being a particular offender, and I've got some YouTube videos that show you how to program it, but the Obey 40, um, especially in a theater setting, I'm not sure what kind of sh shows you're doing, but... The Obey 40 is not strong at being able to program like a stack of cues and then play through it. Um, it really just allows you to do some basic scenes and chases. And in the scenes mode, you can't actually fade between those scenes. It just jumps between them. So um, do really take a good look at that kind of stuff before you go and buy. Because the Obey 40, it's kind of, it's a really cheap console. And for some people, it's going to do what they need to do. And maybe that's the case for you, but I would go watch a few videos on it, watch my videos, um, watch some other people's videos, and, and take note that, you know, it's not going to be able to fade through those scenes individually, and that may be a deal breaker for the kind of shows you're doing. Now, if you were going to install, um, back to your original question, a lighting console into a small theater, um, you know, I would just look at you and, and your plan for the future, Okay in your venue. So in the next, say, five years, how many channels of stuff do you think you're going to need? Are you going to stick with exactly what you have? Or do you think you're going to buy a lot more stuff over the time? Because if a bigger show comes in, basically, and they have a lot more channels, they bring in more lights, well, then anytime a show's coming in and bringing more lights, if it's kind of a one-off thing, a once-in-a-while deal, then they'll bring in a console too, or you can rent a console if you're renting the lights. The point is that, you know, if the budget's there to bring in more lights, then you can find a space in that budget to bring in a better console as needed. Um, you also could, you know, maybe install the Obey 40 kind of as the, the house console or the small console, and then you could have a PC-based system or something like that that you use for bigger shows. So there's a lot of options there, William. Uh, do check out that post that I'm linking to so that uh, you can kind of get the full details. But, you know, definitely the console is, as I like to say, the brain of your lighting system, okay? Um, you're really the brain of your lighting system, but the console's the heart. And it's what really can, can make a big difference between um, being able to program a show that's kind of cool and being able to program a show that's really lame. And, and so 
you want to, you, you definitely want to take the time and choose the right consoles, what I'm trying to say. Um, a lot of people out there have chosen consoles, and I've got, I got a question just on YouTube the other day. Um, somebody was asking about a specific console, and and unfortunately, you know, they had bought the wrong console for their needs, and it was really holding them back, and I don't want that to happen to you. So, with that in mind, William, um, definitely check out that that post that I mentioned that is on finding your first lighting console, and, um, you know, check out that, because I don't want you to be stuck with uh, something that doesn't work right for you or is only right for a little while or something like that. I, I really want you to be happy with whatever you get and uh, be good for at least the short term, the future, you know, being able to, to have something that really works well for you. Awesome. So Jeff writes in. All right. Jeff's got a great question. This is about lighting as a career. So was wondering if you could talk about job prospects in the lighting design field. I can see the utility of DMXs for lighting up a show from a performer's perspective or even for other bands, but what about the feel of lighting design for concerts or theater as a job option? Would you say it's mostly freelance work, a mix of freelance and some employed positions, um, as well as in-house? How hard is it to break into this field? And what do you think the main things to be proficient with are when looking to run lighting for concerts or even local venues with a touring act. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Jeff. So this is a great question. I love this question. Um, so just to give you guys a little history, you know, those who haven't been around here, Jeff, I don't know how familiar you are with, with my background, but I started doing lighting design full-time. And um, the first place that I did it full-time was about 2008 into 2009. Um, I started... And I worked in central Pennsylvania for a few years. That's where I grew up. Uh, great, great place, great market. Um, and um, and then after a couple of years there, I decided to move to Nashville. Um, I, I kind of felt um, the need to move to a bigger city. But anywho, um, and I, I moved here and I've been a freelancer here since, um, though in the past, um, I took a job for a while at a company here. And for the past year or two, as this site's grown, um, you know, my, my work is now kind of a balance between running or in stage lighting and freelancing. Okay. So that's, that's my background because I think that's important to, um, explain what I'm going to explain here that, um, you know, it's a totally legitimate career path, but depending on where you live, you may not be able to, to necessarily quote, do lighting design full time. Okay. So pretty much in every city, there's going to be full-time lighting designers, okay? Full-time lighting people. Totally in every city. If you're in a more rural area, though, um, you may not be able to do this full-time. So, for example, when I lived up in central Pennsylvania, I lived in a little bit more of a rural area. I wasn't quite in any city. And so, on a given day for work, you know, within an hour in each direction, there were two or three cities. And so I might get work in, you know, either I was working at one point for a company and then I was freelancing. And so I might go to one city or another or out to, you know, a church in a rural area to do some other work. Okay. Um, but then as a freelancer in that more rural area, I found out that I could stay a little more local and, um, and if I kind of doubled down and did some audio as well on the side and did a little installation work, then I wouldn't have to travel as much. I could stay a little more local. So 
basically, what I'm there, there's a lot to unpack here, Jeff. There really is. And so I'm going to try to get in the basics. But I see here, oh, you're a Learn Stage Lightning Labs member. Um, so feel free, Jeff, to open up a post on the forums and we can we can talk deeper about this because there's there's a lot of things going on here. So, you know, you talk about DMXs. Um, yeah, DMXs is not going to be used by professional lighting designers generally. You know, it's designed for bands, for people running their own stuff from stage, etc. And so a lot of times when people are looking to do lighting full time, they ask me, what console should I learn? And I say, well, it depends. Okay. Um, you, you really need to look at your local market and, and begin talking to people. Uh, when I first started doing lighting, I, um, I literally just found people who did lighting, asked if I could, you know, shadow them for a day, just come with them and be some free labor and, um, and, you know, see what was going on. And then I was able to kind of find out from there what consoles were in use locally and, and learn the one that makes the most sense. Because um, I know in the labs, I think you asked about, you know, various um, Onyx versus MA versus Campses versus Hogs. And I can tell you that, you know, here in the U.S., in the United States, and I know you're in the U.S., Jeff, um, there are markets and there are, you know, companies and and areas where, each of these consoles is is used and popular. And so when you're talking about your local area and you want to be a full-time lighting designer, you need to first kind of figure out on the console end of things, um, are you going to be employed by production companies or by a venue or by multiple venues? And do they have a capable console? Or would they be looking for you to provide a console or a PC setup or something like that? Okay. If they have a capable console and there's one that's kind of popular in your area, then I would take the time to learn that console real well. You can have your own rig as well, you know, with Onyx or something else, but but I would learn the console that's popular in your area too because here's how people generally break into things, okay? I'm, there, there's a lot to unpack here, but generally a lot of people break into this field by going to a production company, and this is how I started, and I've seen a lot of other people start this way. So you go to production companies or, you know, venues or things like that in your area, people that you know would have work in this area, and you ask to get on their freelancer list or, or to be a freelancer with them, okay? And then what they're going to do is they're generally going to start you off at the lowest pay level, you know, at the lowest level of work, you know, or as we kind of call in the industry, fifth case pusher, you know, the, the bottom guy on the totem pole, right? But then here's how you can you can rapidly move up the ranks, okay? It, it can take a little bit of time, but but the way to really rapidly move up the ranks is to learn, you know, show, show up on time, have a great attitude, and then, you know, spend your time both at work and outside of work learning how to program these consoles and how to do lighting, you know, and asking questions and really taking the time because on the job, you can really learn everything you need to, to ask good questions and to learn from the folks you're working with. Then there's going to be a time, and this is how you break into doing more shows and, and really being the lighting designer person most of the time. A lot of people break in this way is that, you know, you're working for the company. They trust you and they know you'll show up on time. They know you'll have a good attitude and treat their clients well. And so then, you know, a day comes along in a busy season or, you know, whatever, where the company needs someone to go do a small show or something like it. They need somebody who can program, who can do the lighting, who can be the lighting designer, and they don't have anybody, okay? 
they can't find somebody, you know, everybody's busy or whatever that they usually use. And they've got this little event, you know, it's probably going to be some small, insignificant, basic event. And they ask you to do it. They say, well, you've shown, you know, the initiative, you've learned how to program, you know, it's obvious that you can take on this event. And they'll send you off to do that event. And, you know, as long as you do a good job at that event, then they're suddenly going to say, oh, well, hey, he's now not just a warehouse guy, not just a fourth case pusher, but he's now a guy that can do events for us. And and that's really how you move up um, a lot of the time in this business. And so, you know, there's a lot of variations on that theme. Sometimes it might not be a production company. Sometimes it's a small venue. Sometimes you might get in with some local churches who who need some help during special events or or need to give their guy some time off. And, uh, you know, they hire in somebody and, and you can get in, you know, with them. Um, you can get in with a large national company. You know, at a lot of these hotel convention centers and things like that, there are large national companies. And uh, while there's a lot of cons to working for them, um, you know, uh, on the upside, even though they don't always pay well, and there's often a lot of bureaucracy, um, they do often have great benefits packages and things like that. And so basically, Jeff, um, trying to boil this down simply um, and kind of wrap this up is, you know, you want to be proficient in making great lighting quickly and being able to program things well and make things happen for a client, Okay. You know, the basically in this industry, you know, oftentimes you have a tight time schedule. And so basically what people who are hiring you are looking for is, can you do what you say you can do? And when a client says, hey, I want, you know, the lights to look like this, can you make it happen? Okay. And, um, and so, Jeff, obviously, um, as I mentioned before, you're a Learn State Lighting Labs member, so feel free to ask more questions in the forums. But I think this should give you a good start. And to feel free also, you know, in the forums, being that it's private, um, you can fill me in more on your situation or what you found locally, etc. Awesome. Aaron writes in and said, I'm looking to buy some lights at our church. Our church seats about 600 people, so it's a pretty good size. Um, the lights would be permanently added. I would like to buy something that's easy to set up has good dynamic colors. Um, they don't need to move, but they just need to give the stage some color and it's not an arm and a leg. Right now we use um, parking lights with gels. So we are quote way behind and need to upgrade. What light would you recommend? All right, Aaron. So, you know, when it, when it comes to churches, um, there's, there's a lot of things that I don't know about your situation here. And what I also like to tell people is there's a lot of good lights out there. Okay. But Um, What I would probably recommend to start is, you know, keep your old can lights in white for your front lighting wash, especially, especially if you don't use them a massive amount. Like if you use them 10, 12, even 20 hours a week, you know, those bulbs last a long time. And at the end of the day, it's not that much power that's being used. Okay. Um, You can buy LED fixtures. And when you're looking at LEDs, There's not a lot on the market that does colors really well and does white really well for a really good quality stage wash, okay? There's just not a lot that does both really well. Um, The few fixtures that do cost a lot. So what I like to recommend to people is 
you know, go ahead and buy some white lights for your front light or just use the existing ones you have for now. And then add in color with some LED units. Now, Aaron, I don't have really a lot of information as to how far the lights are from the stage, how large the stage is, um, what angles you have where you can hang stuff. But the fact that you said the church seats 600 people gives me kind of a good idea of, you know, the approximate size of your stage. And, and so the other thing that I like to recommend to people is that, you know, when I talk to people about fixture choice, is that especially at the entry level, you know, a lot of times people are looking at brands like Blizzard, like Chave, and like Elation slash ADJ, okay? And they all make good stuff. I mean, they really do. They all make good stuff. So you're looking to add just some color. So I would go to any of their websites and look at the wash lights section, okay? Like I just pulled up uh, Chave DJ. And, you know, they've got a lot of good stuff. Like, for example, I was just looking at these the other day with somebody, these uh, Eve 130 RGB. It's a really nice looking, really soft light, okay? Um, and it's really not expensive, Okay. Eve 130 RGB. Let's see. Type it into the old Google there. And it's about 379. Um, and it is, how bright is this thing? It's got a couple different lenses. And, um, you know, it's not, it's 130 watts. Um, so it's a pretty stinking bright LED light overall. You know, we can see if the page will ever load for me. Um, the um, actual photometric data, there it is, as to how bright it actually is. But you know, with, with no lens installed at five meters, which is, you know, if we multiply that times three, uh, about 15 to 20 feet, you get, um, at full, you get about 600 uh, lux with the uh, narrower lens. And so 600 lux is about 60 foot candles, which is probably just barely bright enough for what you're doing on your stage. Um, another one that I really like, actually, this recently is um, the ADJ. It is the Z-Par RGB. I think it costs a hair more, but it's really bright. Okay. Z-Par 130, I believe. Let's see. Nope, that's not the name. We'll look it up here. I'm live and on the fly as always. So if I go here and I go to ADJ's website, then I will click to product categories and... Um, trade shows maybe ldi oh under static wash too but here yeah trade shows slash ldi nope it's not under there so that's okay product category static wash um cob pars maybe cob pars or else i'll click on par cans as well yeah so these uh, par z120 rgbw Let's see what comes up there. Is another great unit that I recommend uh, to people a fair amount these days. They're really they're really bright as well. And the pricing on those here in the US, at least the online pricing, ba -ba -da -bum, is around 529. So this one's this one's a lot brighter. Um, but you know, there's a lot of different options and I don't have a lot of um, I don't have a lot of info from you. And so what I'd probably recommend, Aaron, is two things. Um, you know, maybe get in touch with somebody locally that is a dealer for things and, um, you know, ask them kind of what they would recommend. They're probably going to want to know 
uh, just as I was kind of asking, you know, how far is this light from the stage? Um, what is the current wattage and, and lensing in your current fixtures? Um, if you happen to know that or can find that out, um, what the bulbs are that you put in those fixtures that you currently have, and, um, you know, how far the light is, is going to be throwing uh, till it hits people on stage. And, and that's really going to help because ultimately there's, there's a lot of different lights you can buy, and there's a lot of good ones out there. And um, just finding exactly what's right for you um, is a little bit harder. But but um, I would recommend, you know, just maybe talk to somebody local who sells this stuff, maybe get some demo units um, and, and kind of see, you know, what what might work for you and, and, and go that way. Um, it's hard, again, without having a lot of info from you to make an exact recommendation. But, you know, you'll want to get some LEDs, um, et cetera, and... Uh, and be able to, you know, just start. Because you have an existing lighting system, Aaron, um, you don't need to go out and replace everything right now. But you can add to what you already have and, and get a lot more use out of it by by just uh, spending, you know, little money, and you can add over time. So it doesn't have to be a huge all-at-once expense by any means. Um, but um, I hope that that kind of gives you a start. We'll make sure to link those products uh, that I mentioned to you in the show notes, that was the ADJZ PAR 120 RGBW and uh, the Chave Eve PAR 130 RGB, I believe. We'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. Okay, Marshall writes in, um, I'm looking for a cheaper version of Avolites or GrandMA or DOT2 that is not the Light Shark and is not a software-based controller. Hardware controller under 5,000-ish that can do professional features. Okay, Marshall. So you kind of painted yourself in a corner here. I'm going to say that to start because as a whole, um, you know, the PC market in the past five, 10 years, as I've watched has really grown. And most of the manufacturers are going ahead and they're really going and putting their focus on the entry level in that under $5,000 range on software-based consoles and systems because there's just so much that you can do um, inside of a computer and you can make a much more powerful console for the cost under that that amount, which is why you're, you're probably seeing that, you know, the Avo Lights entry-level console and the MA and the Dot 2 are all over $5,000. And, and so is the one uh, from Onyx. So is the one um, from Hog. You know, all the entry-level consoles that are a standalone console from these companies are under $5,000 because, you know, to make something reliable that's standalone that that can do everything that the console software needs to do, it's, it's really hard. Um, and so that's why they generally push people to the PC. And to tell you the truth, I mean, I've been doing this, I do a lot of shows, you know, I've used consoles, I've used PCs, and to tell you the truth, if you take a PC and you dedicate that PC to just being the console, you know, you, you get it set up and then you don't connect it to the internet anymore, you, um, you know, kind of lock it down and don't install anything but the software for the console on it, you'll have something that is a good bit cheaper um, than the standalone consoles and can do everything they can do. And so, this is kind of the motivation, kind of the why a lot of these companies don't have consoles for under $5,000, okay? And so I think your best value 
is going with a piece of software or a console that's a little bit simpler like a Light Shark. But again, you know, they don't include a screen on that console. You have to provide that yourself because that's a way that they can get it under that price point. But since you asked, um, the one option that there is, the only one that I'm aware of that's a professional level console is the Camsys MQ40N, okay? And, and what you get is it's about, it's just under $5,000. I think, I think you can get it for just over 4000 actually. But you get a console that can run four universes of DMX, um, but the only problem with the Camsys, the reason I'm a little hesitant to recommend it is that for the same $5,000, even in the Camsys universe, even in their world, you can get a PC wing and use their PC software and get a much more functional console for the same money. Because the MQ40N, basically what it is, is it's got basically like an iPad processor in it. You know, it's got a really basic processor. And so they hold the software back a little bit in the sense that you can only do so many universes. You can network it to an extent to the visualizer into the media player, but you can't network it to the PC-based console. Um, and so they hold the software back in a couple ways so that, you know, you can't um, use as many wings with it, stuff like that. They basically, it's a reasonable console, and my brother's church has one, and it's a good console, but they kind of hold it back. And so, you know, you're looking for professional features, and it can do professional things, but just read closely um, before you buy because there are some things that really hold it back. And in general, you know, when I'm watching the chatter and talking to people about Camsys, um, most folks are not buying an MQ40. They're either buying a PC setup with some nice wings and a dedicated PC. They're getting much more value than you would out of the MQ40, or they're buying one of the bigger consoles for more cost. Um, and so that's my recommendation to you. But since you asked, I've got an answer. And uh, the MQ40N by Campsis is uh, probably what you want to take a look at. All right. Now, after Marshall, Nathan writes in, and uh, we're at about 40 minutes now, so I'm going to go, I'll, I'll wrap this up at about an hour of podcast, and uh, if we don't finish all the questions today, I'll, I'll keep those for the next Q&A episode, which is every other episode, but we'll uh, we'll skip Christmas, so that'll be in about three weeks after this one. Uh, remember, of course, our uh, sponsor of today's show, Learn Stage Lighting Labs. Yes, that's me. But uh, Learn Stage Lighting Labs in simplicity is what I like to call your shortcut to making great lighting. Why do I call it that? Well, simply put, um, you know, you can go around, and a lot of people do, and this is how I began when I first learned lighting. And you can go around and, you know, read product manuals, read different opinions online, watch random YouTube videos, even if they're mine, mine, and you can figure out lighting. But one thing I discovered pretty early on, just a couple years into learning lighting myself, was that when you have somebody who's an expert come in and, and really show you the way through, you know, personalized them um, through help in our forums and through, you know, in-depth tutorial videos that really show you not only the features of the lights in the console, but how to actually use them in, in a lighting situation, you know, in a real life, okay, this is how this actually helps you with lighting. 
Um, and when you put all those things together, it's really a massive shortcut. I know I found that in my lighting, and um, I know a lot of other people found that in their lighting, that, you know, when, when I hit a point, you know, I was volunteering at my church, and, and they brought in an expert to teach us what I thought was a class on a console, but ended up being that I learned a lot about lighting in general. And it really helped me, you know, shortcut my way to creating great lighting to be able to have an expert who I could access their knowledge um, and through, unfortunately, just one training session and then ask them questions. Now, inside of LearnStage Lighting Labs, you get exactly that. You have access to me through the forums as well as other folks who are learning with lighting. And you have access to a wide variety of training videos that cover all sorts of topics from the basics of what is DMX and how does it work? How do I use a lighting console? How do I choose a lighting console? To in-depth tutorials on specific consoles and specific types of lighting. So if you haven't checked it out already, head to learnstagelighting.com slash labs. I've got a video there that is just going to walk you through what's inside, give you a sneak peek and to show you how you can join us today. Awesome. Nathan writes in and says, how should catwalk lights be aimed? Should the furthest fixtures point to the furthest points on stage? What if I want to have the left side of an actor's face a slightly cooler color than the right side? Okay, Nathan. So you want to go ahead. It looks like you're in the theater world and you want to go ahead and, and go to this post that I'm going to put in the show notes called what angles are best for lighting because it walks you through basically the basics of creating a great, smooth, even stage wash, okay? And I think that's what you're referring to here. Now, on a stage and from a catwalk, you can have lights doing all kinds of things. You can have them lighting the set, giving people extra, extra definition from the side, doing some special color or gobos on, on the sides of your stage or wherever. But the first thing that you got to do and you want to get right is to have a good, smooth, even wash. So, I've got an article that's going to talk about exactly that. There's even a video there. It's going to show you exactly how to make a really great wash and a what to do. Now, if you're talking about you want the left side of the actor's faces a slightly cooler color than the right side. And so what you're going to want to do there is, um, you know, this is something called the McCandless method. That's a MC, Mc, and then C, capital C, you know, like a lot of people's name, uh, C-A-N-D-L-E-S-S, I believe, Mick Candless. And you'll want to just Google um, some things about his method. He's an, a, a theater designer back from, I believe, the 30s who pioneered this method of lighting stage for the theater where you put a slightly cooler gel in one side of the, the lights and a warmer gel in the other side, and then you can mix them together get, to get a variety of different colors of white, okay? Now, that method really only pertains to the theater and you know, some people use it, some people don't, um, but go ahead and read that and, and, you know, just Google that and you'll find some information. He's even got some books that he wrote way back when that are still applicable today and can kind of teach you some things to try to simulate how light looks from the sun and, and to do that in a theater. So check out um, McCandless, uh, Stanley is his name, Stanley McCandless, and uh, his work there if you want more info on that. Ryan wrote in and said, I just bought my first set of movers. They are a Monoprice Stage Beam 30. And I will link to that in the show notes, that, that unit on monoprice.com, the Stage Beam 30. I see movers mounted either hanging from the base or sitting on the base. I'm thinking I would prefer to hang them so I can project gobas on the stage floor. But I'm also interested to hear your thought process on which way to mount them. 
I'm lighting bands with a mobile rig. If I did hang them, they'd be from a T-bar and not trusted. So yeah, Ryan, you've pretty much, you know, you, you, you've got the idea here. So when we're working with any light, whether it's a moving light, a conventional light, an LED, doesn't matter. You know, we can either put them on the ground or on top of a case or an amplifier or something like that. You know, we can have them sitting on their base or we can hang them. And in general, it's generally better to get your lights up in the air because when they're up in the air, there's less stuff for them to run into and more places they can point, right? So say, for example, a good place if you're just starting to hang some lights from the air is like right next to your, your main speakers, okay? Kind of at the front edge of your stage in a typical band setup. And when you hang some lights up there, you can now point them at the stage, you can point them at the walls, you can point them at the ceiling, you can point them at the dance floor, you can point them in the audience's eyes. You can point your lights pretty much anywhere you want and be able to shine a pattern there. Now, when is it time to put some lights on the ground and have them pointing up? Well, when, when you have the basics covered, this is what I like to do, and you've got lights coming from above and lighting the band in a way that's adequate, then you want to create more depth and more kind of effect lighting and cool looks, then that's the point where I like to add some lights on the ground pointing up. Now, if you don't have atmosphere like haze in the air, then you're not going to be able to do a ton with the lights on the ground, okay? So if you're not in haze or in a smoky bar or something like that, then, then you're not going to be able to do a ton with those lights on the ground. They'll really just be able to point at the walls and anything other than that. They're not going to be super useful, you know? You could maybe put them on the sides of the stage, point them as side light on the band, which gives a cool depth, or, you know, point them at the back wall, um, but pointing them out in the audience isn't going to do a lot. So, in general, yeah, I recommend hanging them, getting them up in the air. There's a lot more you can do with them. As you add more stuff, then, hey, you can put them on the ground um, or on top of an amp or on top of a case or something like that. Um, it's better to get them off the floor a bit so that people can't get in the way of them because when somebody's blocking the light, then, well, you can't see it. Um, and, and, and the only, you know, kind of pro to putting your lights on the floor like this is that, um, you know, it's easier. <laughs> Simply put, it's easier to set up. It's easier to take down. It's quick. You just put the light out, plug it in and you're good to go. You don't have to hang it. But um, in general, things look better when lights are hung. All right. Izzy wrote in and said, hello, I have a big question and I hope it makes sense. So I know how to program macros and turn the macros into cues and into cue lists, but during playback, going between scenes and cues, how can you smoothly transition between scenes without dimming everything before going to the next scene? I'm currently programming on GrandMA on PC. All right, Izzy. So we, there might be a little bit lost in translation here. I'm not sure what your native language is, and that's okay. It might be English. It might not be. Um, let's see if I can type this in here and uh, see what your location might be. Um, Izzy. But, um, oh, it looks like you're in the U.S. So, regardless, um, there's a couple terms here that can get a little bit confusing, and so I want to make sure we're kind of clear on things. So, when you're working with a professional console, MA in particular, um, a macro is basically just a keyboard shortcut, just a button that you can program, you can press a macro, and then get in the console to hit a combination of keys or a sequence of keys to do something in the console. 
okay? But in some other consoles, macros can refer to, you know, effects or something like that. So I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about, but basically, Izzy, you want to be able to smoothly transition between scenes without dimming everything before going to the next scene. And that's understandable. And so this is going to apply to any console. This isn't just on Grand MA by any means. So when you want to transition between things, um, and this is going to depend on your lights a lot, you're going to need to do things smoothly. So you don't have to turn everything off, but it's hard to know without what light, without knowing what lights you have, um, what problems you're running into. But I'm guessing perhaps you've got maybe some entry-level moving lights that have a color wheel instead of color mixing or gobos or something like that. And you're probably noticing when you transition between different colors or different gobos, it doesn't look very nice because you really see the wheel spin. So when we've got lights like that, where, you know, the transition point between one color to another or one gobo to another is not smooth, you pretty much have to turn them off unless it's a lively part of the music or whatever kind of production you're doing. Okay, so you're pretty much going to have to turn off lights like that. But when we're talking about LED fixtures that, that have color mixing or moving lights that have CMY mixing or something like that, then all of a sudden, you've got some more options, okay? So you don't have to turn the lights off to make a transition, okay? So what I would experiment with is just try going from, you know, maybe you've got some LED fixtures and go from one color to another, okay? Just literally at the end of one queue list or queue, you know, maybe you've got everything in blue at the end of a cue list, and then you want to start the next cue list. You have the intensity on at the, the end of one cue list and at the start of the next, and then you just change the colors. So it may end on all blue, and then you might have a, you know, green and orange cue at the start of the next cue list. And so just program it that way, you know. Um, the simplest way, especially to kind of start to figure out transitions and how they work in your lighting, Izzy, is to really just play around with it. So program some stuff, you know, program out the end of a song and then program the start of the next song. And when you see something you don't like, whether it's a movement or of a light or a transition of a gobo or something like that, then you might need to turn off that light or, you know, find a way to subtly make that change. Maybe maybe you've got a mixture of these moving lights that that have color wheels that don't make a good transition and LEDs that do transition well. And in that case, you might have to, in the last cue of a song, you know, finish out the song and then have a cue that turns those movers off that don't transition well. Then in the first cue of the next song, you may transition those movers to a new position, you know, um, either using the move in black function of your console or just doing it manually with the light off but your LEDs stay on and they change color um, in the meantime. Then at some point before you need the, the movers to come back on before the music kicks in fully, you go ahead, you move them to their new position, their new color, their new gobo, whatever, and, um, and then you turn them on when you need them and they're already where they need to be. So basically the, the thought process behind this is just literally going ahead, you know, programming out what you want the lights to do. And then as you find things that don't transition well, Think about how you can maybe turn just those lights off, make the transition, and then turn them back on. 
And, uh, you know, that's kind of what makes the magic of lighting, but um, it takes a little bit of work to get that going. All right, JP writes in. Let's see how we're doing. Oh my goodness, we got so many questions. Okay, we're not going to get through all these today, and that's okay. JP writes in and says, Hey David, keep up the good show. I'm curious to know about how MIDI controllers work with software and or consoles. Can they be used together? If so, what's the best way to do that? I'm a one-man DJ and have all my lighting pre-programmed ahead of the event and trigger it on the fly. I'm using an iPad now with Luminaire and I'm looking to switch to a console. I thought about using a MIDI controller such as the Akai APC Mini at the event. Thanks for any direction. All right, JP. So, basically... Um, what you've probably discovered is that iPad-based controllers like Luminaire really don't do MIDI well. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of limited in that way and with what physical control you can get with them. You know, there's been some different things on the market, like um, Alation sent me this thing a while ago, the Floorcast DMX Bridge, which is kind of like a little console that runs some software, um, similar to the LightShark console that I often talk about that you can control from an iPad, but the software runs on a different device. And, and when you do that, you might be able to get MIDI control. But anyways, I want to link to a video um, because I've got a video on YouTube. I just redid it just very recently that talks about mapping a MIDI controller to your lighting console, okay? And there's my old one, but where is my new one? There's my new one. All right, so I want to copy that link and send, put that in the show notes here because I think it's really going to help you a lot because I walk through in that video the couple different ways that MIDI controllers and lighting consoles work together. And so when you do want to use a MIDI controller, just the short version, JP, um, with a lighting console, you really need to look at how that console allows MIDI to control it. Because at the end of the day, you know, the way I like to explain this is all of these consoles, you know, in order to make a great console in order to continue the, dev the development, they need to make money somehow, right? So some of them are not very friendly to MIDI devices. Others of them are more friendly to using MIDI devices, but maybe you have to pay for the software or buy something special, um, a special output node to be able to get that DMX output. So you basically want to look at your particular controller and, you know, what you're considering, what console you're considering, and then how does it allow you to use MIDI? Or do they have some kind of console that they sell that would make sense for you? And, and you go look at those things and then you can see how they work together. But um, how MIDI controllers work with consoles is very much a console by console basis because, well, in, from a technical level, any MIDI controller could technically work with any lighting console. Um, it really comes down to what the developers of each console allow or or don't allow you to do within that um, in order to, you know, because they get, they got to make money so that they're able to develop a great console for us. And so, you know, leaving the ability to use MIDI um, is sometimes something that they do, sometimes that they don't, but you'll see a lot more in that video. Awesome. So I'm going to have to stop here, guys. I know I got a lot more questions that you sent in and I'll be sure to get to them on our next show. But until then, if you do have questions, you want your questions answered a little quicker or want access to those videos that'll walk you through step-by-step step everything you need to know to get started with lighting, then you'll want to go to learnstagelighting.com slash labs, which is where I have 
um, some information about Lens Stage Lighting Labs where you can learn about what you need to do um, to join us to be able to get that shortcut to making great lighting. One of the ways that I really like to explain it to people is that you're going to go out there and you might spend, you know, a thousand dollars on lights. You might spend thousands of dollars on lights. You might, you know, be working for someone who spends that kind of money. You might be controlling hundreds of thousand dollars of lights. Um, you know, whether you're just controlling a few lights or a lot of lights, making a small investment in yourself and learning to program them well and to use them and to put them in the right places can make a much bigger impact than adding more lights. And so even if you subscribe for a year to learn stage lighting labs, it's still only about the cost of one light. And in my opinion, um, and, I, and I've got testimonials, you know, lots of people have gone through the labs now and learned. And so I have, you know, testimonials to back this up that getting that education in and getting that knowledge and, and, and learning that is, is actually generally more powerful than, than buying one more light. And so that's why I really believe in the power of education and, and just that I've got this, this really great resource where I'm able to teach you guys things, you know, be able to impart my knowledge upon you. You guys are able to get in for a really reasonable cost. And um, I really think it's a win-win. So learnstagelighting.com slash labs. And uh, I will see you guys here next week. I'm really excited for our show next week. We're going to be getting into the complete guide for pixels, LED tape, and custom LEDs part two. So if you liked the last episode, I can see that it got a lot of downloads. Um, then you, you'll want to stay tuned for the next episode. Until then, guys, I will see you, and I hope you have a wonderful day. And that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to the Learn Stage Lighting podcast. Be sure to visit us at LearnStageLighting.com to see show notes, past episodes, and download a free guide on how to begin with lighting in your specific context. I'll see you guys on the site. Thanks. Thanks.